You're listening to Force Fed Digital. BXU Heard. Yo, what's going on? It's your boy, Kingsbridge Rich. This is the My Bronx Story Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This is episode 18. Today's title is New Beginnings, Old Borough, Bronx Life with Kingsbridge Rich. And I got to admit, I fucked up. So what I decided to do with this fuck up is kind of address it head on because it comes along with my nature. And I'm sure a lot of people would relate to it, but I could have let what went on kind of move me backwards in my mood and make it a lot more challenging for me to proceed. But I decided to just bring in a new year with this mindset of I got to just be chill about things and accept reality. And so what better way than to take what would have otherwise been frustrating and chuckle at it, face it head on. And so here I am. So let's begin by going into the plugs for the social media. Thank you for joining. Thank you for sticking around. Not only do I have this podcast, but you can catch me on my social medias. I'm on Instagram on two pages and I'm on TikTok. So on each of those platforms, you can catch the link tree and follow all of my socials. I usually encourage you to go check my socials all over the place because I give little bits and pieces everywhere. But if I must admit, TikTok is a little more my priority and it's the only platform I got a little change from. So I'm trying to put a little more so it'll be very helpful if you're not on t- if you're on TikTok and you're not following me, please go ahead and do so. I really appreciate it. But keeping it real, and I will be on this subject a little bit today. Um, I do have adult ADHD, and I am currently working toward um, developing strategies for the new world that we're in today. Life changes and situations t- change. Technology changes, and just our our. Our energy changes, the hobbies we have, you know, we are always in a constant state of change. And for me, as a person with ADHD, I've had a life of learning how to adapt to those changes and putting strategies in place. And so what's new in my world? I'm podcasting. I, I speak publicly. I have no problem sharing a video and speaking and being open with people. And I feel comfortable in that space. But, bruh, I got this responsibility that goes beyond just press and record. You have to arrange things in a certain way. I'm not the most academic person, but I could let that cripple me and make me feel all crazy about it or I could face it. And so here's one of the ways using technology and doing something that I think I'd like to do a lot more often and I like to encourage people to do more often. And so this resource that I'm going to talk to you about is something that's been new for me and has been super helpful. In fact, since the very beginning of this podcast, I've used it so it can help me with some of the legwork that it would have took for me to organize my thought, do research. And the name of this thing is called ChatGPT. And so it's by a company called OpenAI. It's artificial intelligence. And without having to go into too many details, what's good about it and how I use it is that I can pretty much prompt it to give me a certain response in a certain way that would help me either gain information or insight. And so I'll give you some examples. With this podcast, 
I may need to have a certain timeline. And so I may ask or I may direct it to provide me an outline so that I can have a 45 minute show that includes an intro, three segments and a summary. I like to discuss these certain topics and I'm a bit confused on information having to do with, you know, A, B or C. If I put that into it, and this is just an example, just take the core of it and think of how you can apply it for yourself because it's helpful in many ways. I, there's no way I can stand here. I'm sitting though. There's no way I can sit here and go through all the different scenarios you can use it. But anyway, in my world with podcasting, something that's new and challenging, I use ChatGPT in that example where I just ask it to do this for me. And it goes, it pulls resources from the web. It goes ahead and, and gives you this outline with uh, in bullet form and with spaces so you can add your own flair. And so I use it lightly or in certain ways. I even get illustration out of it because I pay the pro. And so if you're on my Instagram and you see some of the new artwork and logos and stuff that I've used, sometimes I've spent $400, $450, $500 just for logos with certain businesses I've been a part of. Having this with a $20 subscription and there's a free version. So up until about two weeks ago, I've been using the free, which has been helping me with this podcast, generating emails, um, creating a, a subscriber list, giving me a breakdown of like a timeline of by this month, you should cover this, giving me ideas of themes to cover. Like there's so many ways that I've been able to use it. And so I've been already using it without problem. But today I have ran into problems. You know, I had an eventful day. It's New Year's. It was New Year's Eve. We were partying and, and hanging out. And um, I also had a lot of uh, situations throughout the week just pulling my time. And so it may sound like an excuse if I'm using it for that. I just bring it to the forefront to show you that this is a set of challenges. And for a person who has ADHD, this is yet another challenge that you have to sort out. Or it's a proof of a certain problem that you may have. And the common person, you can forget things. Like this is not to say only people who have ADHD fail in that area. This is just to say that me, like many people who are either unorganized naturally or suffer from trying your best, having well intentions, but still being pulled in so many ways that the distractions may be overbearing and cost you. This is an area cost you. I'm here um, having a struggle and, and in my mind feeling either guilty, uh, feeling just really shameful because of being in this position, which then kind of further cripples you if you let it. And so the way you counter it, the way I count, uh, countered it, was to say, you know, this, I accept my situation. Hey, listen, this is where I'm at. I think of what resources I have to get me out the jam at the moment. And then I decide how much I'm going to utilize it. So as an example, we're going to go through this today. And I'm very excited. And this is how I'm using my energy. I'm not going to be scared or worried. I'm not going to be in a tough position. This is what I do. I live this life. I've been in these places. I have the thoughts around it. And I'm not going to allow a situation or any situation unless it was like very vital, which in this case, I'm telling you it's not. I'm telling myself it's not. So carrying on, I used ChatGPT and I told it a few things. These are what's called prompts. And for the remainder of these points that I'm going to give you, just understand that I told ChatGPT this is the direction I want to go. I asked it to give me a certain breakdown and then I plugged in the very experiences and thoughts that I thought fit the questions that were here. And so there's about five of them. 
we're going to go through it. And then this is our episode. And we're going to have an amazing first day of the year. And so certain discussion points regarding the Bronx and back in the days. And we begin here. A question posed, share your lighthearted memories and stories from growing up in different neighborhoods of the Bronx, highlighting how these places have shaped you. And so here's three stories for you that I'm going to share real quick that kind of go back in the days in the Bronx, but are super critical to the upbringing of Kingsbridge Rich. Evictions. And so one of the things that brings me memories of the Bronx in my early days, and so to paint the picture, this is the Bronx in the 1980s. Originally, my family and I, we lived in Brooklyn, but due to my parents getting arrested and my mother coming out of jail sooner, we then made the move to the Bronx where we had other family. And so for the while as a kid, I had grown up in the circumstance of being in a single mother home with a father in jail, not being able to provide for us on the outside, and going to a sort of migration with my family, the family that began to do well would travel out to different states, beginning their families. And so I, had, I have tons of cousins, but you know these are the parents that left the state to pursue certain, certain interests. Some went military, some started families in different states, all across from Hawaii to Puerto Rico, Maryland, Virginia. And so the ones who remained in New York City were the ones that lived in the Bronx and faced um, drug addiction, cocaine, crack even. This was part of the upbringings of my family from back in the days, just to paint the picture. So a consequence of that, having my mom deal with, you know, raising two kids in that household, no male figure, or bringing inadequate male fingers around, guys were just there to hit it, abusive guys even. We didn't have that male finger in the house to just balance out. And so my mom typically would find a job. The job would find out that she had a felony record. She'd lose that job. She'd be behind on money. And that became the dance of moving around different places of the Bronx. And so we'd been evicted. And the first apartment that we had in the Bronx actually belonged to my grandfather because he owned two multifamily houses. And so at this point, he had been retired from being a doorman all these years in Riverside Drive. And, you know, he made a living for himself. And so here he goes, opening up a space in the Highbridge area of the Bronx, 165th and Nelson Avenue. In that side of town, we had a second floor apartment of a three-family three house. And now began our first touch of the Bronx. This is 1986 and my brother and I, with a single mother, are fending for ourselves out there in the street. But that wasn't the first place because as soon as my mother could not afford to keep this up, whether she lost an opportunity because they found out about her criminal record, we shuffle over to another area. Very next area would be Kingsbridge. So we started off in the hybrid section of the Bronx on 165th and Nelson Avenue. I had an uncle that got arrested he was ready to do some fed time. So he had an apartment up. So we went and took that because, you know, we was going behind on ramp on the first place. And so now we obtain town in a whole different area, trying to meet new friends, walking past new groups of people that we're not acquainted with, coming through new challenges. 
And so traveling further distances just to go to school. Um, and I'm in junior high school at the time, too. So I'm a junior high school kid taking the trains, public transportation, throughout a very violent Bronx at the time in the early 90s. And so, you know, we went from place to place being evicted because it'd be the same story. You fall behind and there's but so much you can do of that. And we'd shuffle from, we went from Highbridge to the Kingsbridge area. When we got to Kingsbridge, boom, I'm on Valentine Avenue. From Valentine, we on the Grand Concourse. Grand Concourse, we got two apartments between Crest and two different locations. Once on 198th and then another time on 197th. Then we moved to Kingsbridge and Morris. And then we get off from that building to the across the street building. So it's a lot of shuffling. And these things are evictions, us holding on to an apartment for a little while. And then after that, you know, just just kind of being slippery, slithering from losing one thing to just jump into the next bridge and then jump into the next bridge before that burns. And so with that shuffle, there's a lot of positives and negatives. And so the obvious negative is moving around. Like I said, yo, I can't. I can't begin to tell you how how often the feeling would be that we'll just begin to meet people in a certain area before we'd have to relocate. And with relocating, this is not just to paint the picture. This is the Bronx. So the, if I say this casually, the Bronx audience gets it. You know, because we have buildings, you know, because the way we're settled and situated in the Bronx between the buildings, the houses, the geography of the different areas of the Bronx. All I got to do is tell you Riverdale, Throgs Neck, Soundview, Kingsbridge, and such. And I paint the picture, but to the person who does not live in the Bronx, this is not your case of being in an area where there's a house and you don't really know about the people in the house next to you. Within the buildings and different areas that you're moving to, you got to go to the bodega at some point with a different crew that's in front of the bodega. And because now you're on that block, you might have to go to another bodega two blocks away that you haven't met anybody from that block. But those people on that side might have a little beef with the people on this block. But you don't know anybody on this block, but they see you coming from this certain block. And so this is just scratching the surface of the frustrations of having to be shuffled around. So obviously there's negatives in having to be evicted and all of that. But the positives was a few things. And so there's a way that it became a positive, but the obvious positive, not the obvious, but what's the positive in all this for me was that I got the title of Gov. And so it's pretty dope because like, I enjoy being from so many different blocks and meeting so many people that I got to be invited to places, allowed, um, being in certain blocks all around the place. And so shooting uptown and, you know, different ends of the Bronx with different friends different acquaintances, um, people I knew from the block, certain buildings, people who were on certain blocks that lived in other areas. And so between years of doing that, the positive that I wouldn't realize until a long time later would be that I'd know so many people, so many stories, and I'd see so much growth in people. I, I, I'd say the average person pretty much has a, a very small circumference in the city. You don't kind of move out of that way. But with us, we would pick up and go to whole different places to meet whole different kind of people that wouldn't even touch. They're not from the same schools. This is not the case of being evicted and being in the same general area. And so, again, the consequence is just having to meet people because 
Like the people from this area don't even cross that way unless they do want to reach or whatever, which would be the case at some points, of course. But it was very hard being 12 years old in that dynamic, 13 years old, because we're tra tra traversing through a city, through a borough that's wild with gangs all over the place. We had a time that so many areas was repping tangs. We had, we had graffiti crews. We had just block gangs. We had small, small subgroups of main gangs. It was just a lot going on. And here I go at a young age traveling back and forth. So being evicted had that con because we had to move around still to go until I finished up junior high school. And I never went to my local school. I was always going to a school in another neighborhood. And so it was very challenging and stuff. And that was very tough to deal with for my upbringing. And there was, you know, I, I experienced getting jumped by people because I didn't go to a local school. I got cut in my face because I wasn't attending a school that was locally. You know, I've been jumped a few times actually. And, um, and you know, with other negative experiences and stuff. But then there's the positive, which paid off years later because even to today, there's people I reacquaint through social media. And it's always dope when I see a person from like my past that like in a very innocent life of mine, I shared certain memories. And that's what this is all about, this platform. I talk so much about my upbringing and, and my perspective and, and these intersections between people. But the reward of being evicted or the irony of being evicted so often is being able to shuffle around and meeting some awesome people. And so I appreciate that and I get to use it to my advantage and look at now I got a, I got a pretty decent following and a platform and I got a lot of people who are, you know, rocking with me and that, you know, can kind of vouch for the stories I'm telling because I'm telling stories that are familiar. Yeah, I was there on this side of town. I was also there on that side of town. I was with these people too. So anyway, that was dope. And so like I said, that was one part of it. The other part of it is like, how did this happen? Was I rocking my knuckles crazy, going all out? Was I being a terror on the block? Was I making a name for myself? No. I dealt with the traumas of, of everything I mentioned to you about my upbringing in my household. And, um, you know, home was very bad. I was always outside. And um, I had my share of, like, you know, people who were sort of, like, bullyish and overbearing. I had my, my case of being a bad friend and such. But my experience wasn't that I was one of those kids that was always up to no good. If there was a no good happening, it was probably that was around like the people I was around or whatever. But coming up in the 80s in the Bronx, I'm here in certain areas where for the first time because we're evicted, we're now meeting people. And so where do people tend to hang out in the Bronx? It's usually in front of certain buildings. So you don't want to move into that building. Like of every block that's popping, they'd be like, you know, two buildings, one building, three buildings, depending on what block. And like, if you live in that building, you got the nightmare to deal with. And for me, I had that experience quite a few times because of the evictions. And so I can, I can say a, a memory I had that was kind of like, all right, so there's two memories, in fact. There's one memory of Valentine area, 198th Street. We lived in a, in a house, it was a three-family house, but we was in a very unkept attic under deplorable conditions. This is my mother, single mother, renting a room with her two teenage boys. In one room, space heater, bed in the middle, barely space for a floor TV. With the slant, cutting some of the space 
you don't you don't got a a, a squarish room there's a, a slant in it because this is an attic and so yeah this is my reality 1993 we on this block we don't know nobody from that side of town because we knew from uptown we coming straight from highbridge and so now we're in this area and i remember i wanted to go across the street to the bodega because they had some games some arcade games they had street fighter at the time so this is street fighter 2 turbo edition so it was wild i was like yo i love all the features of this game the across the street the, you know like there's the little incentives of of moving you know i can imagine my mom would say little anecdotes to help the experience out we'll move to this new block we got some fucked up situation going on in our life but papi look mira in the back they got that game you like street fighter 2 look they guy says turbo you played that one yet like us mothers know how to do fathers know how to do as parents and so I can imagine, and too bad the trauma is so deep that it's hard for me to, I'm kind of painting the picture nice, but it, it, it's kind of reminiscent of, of that type of parent who, who I've witnessed and I've seen in the Bronx. It's kind of like that typical Bronx Boricua. And so the experience of incentivizing it. And so I know for me the incentive of that block, although there's mad people chilling. I don't know none of them. Uh, this is winter time. We're moving in this area. People got hoodies. It's intimidating. We're in a block, we don't know nobody, I'm young, vulnerable, there's gangs all over, so I already know how things pop off. But still, there's this Street Fighter 2 game in the back. And so I'm dumping quarters, dumping quarters, playing. But then there's certain days that I go to the store, and there's these kids playing on the game. And with this experience, I'm seeing these other kids, I'm trying to stand, and things get funny in the hood with games. There's this hood politics and hood dynamic things that happen that like only a story like this could kind of open up. Because sometimes the power trip and power control starts in places you'd never imagine. And so video games is one. There's a fair way of playing. And although you can capably play a game like, you know, I'm playing against you and, you know, the best player wins. But there's, there's still terms like cheesing. And I remember being pulling up being a decent player, but then kids kind of using the little cheat things to beat me and stuff like that. And as a kid that didn't know how to organize his emotions and stuff like that, it was hard on me. And so the funny thing is that what made us thrive in these circumstances is that my mom knew G moves. And so here's a gangster move. Here's a G move of my mom. I'm going to tell it to you how it happened on 198th and Valentine, but I'm going to tell it to you how it happened again on Kingsbridge. And so as the story would go, these kids were now more intimidating. And so I'd come to play the game you know, I see a quarter missing on the screen. Maybe I dropped it. Maybe I did it. Maybe it's these kids that are giggling for some odd reason by the section that the beer's refrigerator is open and closed. For whatever the case is, something's going on, or at least I feel so. So that's my reality. And so on this one particular day, I remember going home and telling my mom how I felt about this group across the street. And so at this time... In the attic apartment on 198th Street in Valentine, which was like a drug den, by the way. So this is, don't paint the picture of a nice, you know, that is, since it's not a building that I got this little posh bullshit. Nah, this was in a very, like I said, deplorable conditions. Like we were pissing and shitting in buckets. They had a bathroom that didn't work for months. I was bird bathing in the sink. We had heroin addicts all on the first floor. They all, and, and the whole house from the first, second, and third floor was busted down into rooms. Anyway, may I proceed? And so, this is the G move. So in the crib, we always had this, it was a, a fake revolver gun. It was, um, 
it was aluminum built and it had a plastic wood looking handle but the 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 barrel of it was like filled with concrete and then like a a certain type of wax substance and then painted with black on the top and so it was very realistic the revolver pin of it opened it up the chambers spun and it was modified to be like a cap gun that looks real realistic so it wasn't like a starter pistol it was like a joint a piece a 38 special and so it was always laying around the house it was not in no safe space i'm 13 years old at this point this is my hot boy summer but this is pre-hot boy because i didn't know the kids on the block and so this is how i knew the kids on the block that this gun ended up in my mom's hand and my mom goes ac across the, cri the crib to the store and the one kid that I described who became my friend later, his name was Rocky. But the one kid that I described to my mom, my mom pretty much was like, I got this. All to say she handled it. She took the gun, fake gun, right, which looks real, went into the bodega, mentioned what happened and put it on the kid's shoulder. And rested on the shoulder saying that there shouldn't be a problem. I'm paraphrasing. Which is a whole other episode because I don't really talk to my mom. However, so my mom rests the gun on the shoulder pretty much to say there shouldn't be a problem no more. But it's the same summer I ended up meeting all these kids, breaking night with them, chilling out in the streets, getting arrested and joining the gang with nonetheless. But my mom bought me a, a ticket out of a possible ass whipping or intimidation and this was all by the g-code because hoods got politics and when you're that close to people there's a certain dynamic that takes place that people from the from the buildings people from the bricks would understand and so all this is to say this is what my bronx story is about but this is a positive and this was the way my mom handled these situations and so there's a few times that this played out, right? The other time that my mom did this was in Kingsbridge. And so there was one building, we would call it the Benke building because there was a piece along the side, rest in peace, Tracy 168, had done graffiti writer, pioneer of the arts. Kingsbridge was wild with all the people, the pioneers of hip hop, by the way. So this block was wild. Like you'd see marker tags in the buildings that say 25 to life crew. And then a scroll of a thousand other crews listed under. When I say scroll, I'm really talking about a scroll because Cordio Wildstyle, shout outs to you, Eddie Cordio, would be in the building scribbling with a permanent marker every single day. There was graffiti cartoons, storyboards in the building. I knew that it was funky in that building. My mom managed to move us into the building that was the hangout when it was cold outside, that when you wanted to evade the police, there was Philly Guts up and down from the, from the lobby to the second floor. Philly Guts with OE bottles, paper bags, and graffiti on an everyday basis. And the super there, by if each afternoon, he was just cleaning off graffiti, cleaning off graffiti. So this is the building that we move in from Creston. We had just met a bunch of people, got some friends for like a year or two, and then boom, now we go to an even wilder block as if an upgrade. So here we go, we in this building, this new building. This is how the G-Code pops off again. This building is wild and there's like 30 people at a time in, in the staircases. So you gotta walk downstairs. Here's the other way it pops off for everybody in the Bronx. You already know how it goes. If you're new to a block and you in that building and you walking down the stairs, it's a cash 22. 
Sometimes they they want to be in the front of the building, and you got to be careful how you twist your 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 body to show you know that you're gesturing that you peacefully want to pass through the area, cause they could be crowded all in front of the building, or while, or you could be that dude that said I'm gonna take the stairs, and then you go to take the stairs, and everybody's right between your floor and the floor under you. And now's your chance, what do you do? You already kind of showed yourself that you was gonna work there anyway, and they peeped you. You turn around, you shook. Now you fool, they watching you. You proceed, you gotta be careful what you giving, what energy you giving. You walking hard, you being shook while walking, right? Because to that young kid, that's not muscle memory yet. I'm only 12, 13 years old, so I might make a few mistakes because this is early on, but the G move comes in, right? Maybe my mom sees it in our eyes, my brother and I, that like, okay, cool, we're in a tough building. Or maybe it's just op obvious. Maybe it's just instinct instinctive that my mother comes along and pulls another G move because this first week that we moved there, they even hired a security guard for the front of the building and they tried to instill a sign-in sheet. That guy did not make it 24 hours. And so for the little resemblance of a safe building on the block, it was all gone within a matter of moments to what was really the reality behind there. That these 25 to life, wild style, hood, Kingsbridge and Morris dudes, the squad, and every acronym imaginable that they rep on the... Tons of graffiti that's all in and out the buildings and the wild screw face people that's out there. These little boys got to cut through all these people. So this is what my mom does, right? She walks in with us because, you know, at the time people were still respectful. Like now it's a, lot, it's a whole different story and I wish it to look like this again. But back then, at least you had a free pass if you was with an adult. If you were an adult, you got a free pass because people wasn't going to really mess with you. It's when you're by yourself that you're caught lacking. But nonetheless, I'm with my mom, so when I'm with my mother, we're safe, we're with an adult. We got a good passage. So at one point we enter into the building and this kid, she knocks on the door and she gestures to the kid. She says, yo, listen, you could do me a favor? Hold this door open real quick, I got something for you. My mother goes across the street to the bodega. She buys a bunch of beers, a bunch of cigarettes, some gum and stuff like that. Nonetheless, she did a little comprita at the store and got the essentials. And she blessed everybody in the hallway. She was like, yo, here, here, I got some cigarettes for y'all. I got some 40s. She went and just dropped some 40s on them and stuff. And who did they see her with? Her two boys, my brother and I. And from that point on, we started meeting the first of our people on that block. It was a wild block. And within a short amount of time, we're meeting more people and more people and just yet another block, but this G-code move that I got to thank my mom, her instincts, her being a person that was born from a different time in the Bronx, that it was applicable and it went to help my life. So these are dynamics of things that are kind of like was second nature to that person that has that full Bronx experience, that person that grew up in the Bronx. The Bronx today is different. So when you look at crime and stuff like that, you look at it differently, but there were certain codes that you had to learn existed. And there's certain things that you had to face, certain challenges that you had to have 
imagined it or lived, you had to have lived in it more than imagined it. And so these are some examples of what it would have looked like back in the days in the Bronx. Now, what was the scene? Who was the characters and some of the people who stand out? And so, of course, I love this vivid storytelling. I like to recall instances and gems and jewels and the people who have shared them along the times with me. It's a lot of what I like to do and pass on to younger generations. I got my perspective and I really enjoy this platform and I enjoy all of social media. It's a place that I've been able to share and connect with people and share jewels. I have these experiences. They're not to gatekeep. They're to share with everybody. And so good or bad, wherever I've been is somewhat of a baton that I can pass to people. And some of the batons that I pass, I have gotten from other people. And so not only batons and gems, but funny experiences that I can draw my conclusions from. And people who I can either laugh, think I like to be like them for a time, see a value and say, oh shit, this person gets down like that. And so there's a cast of characters in my life that I kind of highlight at times. And so I got three that I'm gonna highlight for different reasons. And there's plenty more that I can do, but there's always a lesson in the friendships that you meet. And I love interacting with people for that reason, because to me, I look at this life journey and I look at people and these stories and my Bronx story, your Bronx story. And although there's all these similarities, but it's the unique perspective that makes a story. And so here's three people and three areas that I've lived in as um, one of the things I like to share with you guys and talk about this year. And so some interesting people, memorable incidents from the very streets of the Bronx and here I paint them, right? Highbridge, I told you guys, I lived in Highbridge once upon a time, and um, this is in the early 80s. So when my parents got arrested, we were living in Brooklyn. And so the first available place for us when my mother came out was in the Bronx. My, my grandfather had the three-story house, and we became a tenant. And so we're, here we are in the hybrid section. So this is... The mid-80s, we end up there. As a kid, we enjoyed the block for all the street games that you can remember. Stickball. The way the block was situated, we wouldn't lose the ball much, so we played a lot of stickball. We played stoop ball. We'd play handball. We had a, a huge wall, which was dope. And um, it was such a wall that we were able to play off the wall. You know, when you throw your, wall, your ball against the building and it bounces over so all the street games that you can remember that were iconic for the 80s, the double dutch and stuff the girls would play, we had a block that was just full of that. We entertained ourselves on the streets with the pump. When it got too hot for those games and we needed to cool off, we'd always go to like one of those supers that had the big red wrench. Back in those times, at least, you were able to open the hydrant with your standard wrench. Now they got that cap and their haters, but back then it was so much easier. And so it was always a super that you went to, and it was never a problem, it was always easy. Sometimes you was the cool kid that went and got that wrench and you popped it off. It was almost like a vibe, everybody kind of peeped, they're like, yeah, we kind of hot. And with the unspoken word, it's almost like that person shows up with that big, heavy, 40 pound feeling, you know, you're a little kid yielding like Thor, the magical tool that's gonna save everybody, like the block hero. And here you go, you roll and you do your first spin, your second, and by the fifth, the water pressure's out. And you're thinking to yourself, how many more spins until I got the full power? How much more spins until I got this at full 
power that we could get those little Goya cans and shoot the water against the, the walls and all that. So it's pretty dope, right? My time in Highbridge is the early 80s, in the mid 80s, mid to late 80s was my time there. In that time, our block had this chop shop. And so the name that comes to mind is a dude named Hippie. Now, Hippie, he didn't wear like a mechanic suit or anything like that. This dude was like, he was like a stoic person. You didn't see him smile much. You'll pull in front. I believe I, I can remember him with a cigarette, maybe because I'm painting the cigarette because he seemed cool because of his stoic, non-facial expression self. But there was like a little hut of a structure that had two big barn door looking things that opened up. And so this was the space that these guys would hook up cars. And so on the block, amongst this place that I told you we played the ball games and the double dutches and the hydrant open at full pressure, we had the remnants of a building that had co collapsed for whatever building. Um, it may have been one of the buildings that from the time the Bronx had burned had just not been built up. But this is the block that we moved into. And I would never forget this structure because we used to sneak into it every so often and sneaking into it. There used to be a bum that used to sleep there. But this was a full chop shop operation that they'd always be coming through the block with like a rolling chassis. And their favorite car was a Mustang 5.0. So 86, 87, 88, they was coming through with the, the Hunter Green color one, the Burgundy color one all black ones, all white ones, they were hooking it up. So they were just coming through with smash cars and rebuilding them. And I'm a kid, so I'm not in the mix. But, you know, kids of those times, you kind of hear what's going on. And we knew of that. But as kids of the time as well, it sucks because as much of these things that was very serious happening, we still innocently were like sneaking into these places and, and chilling. And unfortunately, one traumatic day for me, I remember I had a friend named Bibi. And so BB and I and a few of us, we were playing on the roof of that chop shop. And we were jumping from that roof to an adjacent roof. And we kept going back and forth. And at one point, and we were dodging these barbed wires that were spiraling from the front of the place to the back in between roofs. So this guy on this day, although it was empty and there was no one there, on this particular day, Hippie had returned. And so Hippie called all of us on the roof. We were all trying to run because we heard an adult screaming. Didn't realize who it was, but Hippie had come back. And so the one that he caught, we all got away, but the one he caught was a friend named Bibi. He was the older of us, probably by about a year and a half, two years. He took him and he threw him in between houses, which caused the barbed wire to go through his thigh and rip a large chunk of his leg. And I saw him jump off of the structure and run up the block holding one leg the visual of that, I saw the pink meat. This was the most, this was at this time, I was about eight years old. This had been the most traumatic blood experience that I had ever seen. Bar whatever I've seen from movies and such. But at this point, I'm, I'm seeing him trying to jump home and I don't see him again. We're not going on IG to see how he's doing and stuff. Is BB from that building down the block? Just hasn't showed up to chill no more. And then one day, I see a white and green scooter. These are the BMX scooters with the large tires with the nubs and the double brakes up top with the, with the rubbery little handbar things. I don't know what to call them, but 
you get the picture. They're just like mini versions of BMX bikes from the 80s that have a standing platform. And so I'm watching from far and I'm thinking to myself, oh, that looks like BB. And as he gets closer in his green and white, super dope, awesome and new at the time scooter, I see a whole row of stitching all around. And I see that it must have been about a foot and a half of a circular gash that had ripped it. To me, he lost and got hollowed out of all that skin and flesh. To me, because that's the way I looked. I saw the meat flapping. It was traumatic for me. I can't imagine what it was like for him. And this is me amongst a group of kids that jumped off of this roof. So it was, yes, traumatic. Shit, I'm happy it wasn't me that that happened to because I was a fat boy that got away. So it was kind of a win for me because it could have been me, but a more fit and capable BB got caught up for it. Maybe because of his age and he was an older kid and unfortunately he got it done to him. But Hippie never got arrested by it. Who was going to snitch on Hippie? Who was going to call the cops? And so that was Hippie of Highbridge. And then we move uptown to Kingsbridge. As I told you, we got evicted sometimes. Now, a very special person to my heart, even to this day. And it's funny because this is not an OG. This is a personal friend. This is a friend that I'm still in touch with, and he's my A1 from day one. And this is a guy named Vlad. And my man here is a person that I met during the 90s on Creston Avenue. And significant to me that at the time that I met him, this kid was my age, but he moved into a block that I knew people. And I knew immediately that he wasn't like us. So for that, I thought that he was probably three, four years older. Cause like he stole to the block, he had his boom box. Okay, you know, this is the mid nineties, jazz port on, jeans, one leg rolled up. But he's smoking a cigarette, so I'm like, all right, cool. Like, you know, older kid on the block, new. You know, you got to peep because, like, you get a new person in the block, you kind of, when you know people, you kind of get a sense, like, territory or whatever. But then again, like, you know, it's hit or miss depending on what block. But the time I was on and at the age I was, I was peeping game. But, you know, he was fresh, too. He had cool hats and stuff. His gear was on point. I'm okay, okay. I thought it was cool. I get to meet him. I realize we're the same age. And then shortly after, like, you know, a lot of the kids from the block met him. He's a cool dude. So to fast forward kind of to the point, not only was he a cool dude, but he was a cool ass dude, which was a reminder that, like, I really wasn't on his time. Like, I was a virgin ass dude. Right. And this dude already was like, there was mad, like, he had girls. This, yeah, I never at this. This was then this is probably why he makes the cut up until this point. I had only seen like in movies or rappers deal with like fanfare like somebody that will end their life because of you and you not michael jackson this is the first time i witnessed this in my eyes when he hears this he is gonna laugh so hard but i ain't never shy away from saying that because he was that dude and it was cool as hell and so the other things is like the rebellious cool like he had dropped out you know he was smoking cigarettes not that that made me ever want to smoke cigarettes i wasn't into smoking smoking weed like like he was blowing it down young, and I'm like, shit, like, I'm way behind. Like, I'm not it. But we kicked it off, and it was cool, and everybody else from the block <laughs> was rolling and shit. So shout-outs to Vlad or whatever. And still, like, you know, we fam or whatever. But it's funny because in all that time, like, we got so much closer. And I got to know him personally, like, 
to things that he had went through back in the days. Stuff that he, he don't shy away from talking about from his upbringing and stuff. But, you know, that's, that's his story to tell. But nonetheless, like, the more I heard from him, and I had a tough upbringing myself. So knowing him, it was just an exposure to somebody else who was very young, going through things that was ahead of their time. But on top of that, like, he was cool as shit. And, and like, when I would hang out with him, he'd always have a girl showing up. When any, like, any time you hung out with him, it'll be him and some girl from some block that showed up. And so we just a big sauces party chilling in the hallways. It's just guys and guys and guys. And some girls from, like, the hood. But he was that dude that had girls from other hoods just popping up. And then his crib was the, the, the hangout crib, too. So we was there, like, making music. This is the night. We was making tattoo machines on the low. Pez, shout-outs to Pez. It just came out from jail. So we was in the crib doing all, like, this was my exposure to I became a rapper chilling with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, everything popped off. I started busting down Walkmans. We was breaking down Walkmans, and we was making tattoo machines out of them. Yo, we was taking the, the wire from, like, the, the box from the Chinese food takeout, and then we was taking the motor apart. We was... Heating up the tip with a light. Yo, we was straight. Man, Pez was putting us on. To the point that we started getting battery packs and started doing people's tattoos in the hood and all that. It was crazy. But all to say, we got real innovative, but Vlad's crib was that crib. Because for that age, you still had your mom whistling out the window for you, telling you, get your ass upstairs. Although Vlad's mom was kind of strict as well, but Vlad, shit, his crib, his room was like his domain and... We would chill there, everybody be in, in his building to spark up, and his building would be the parties and stuff upstairs on the fifth floor or whatever, um, or the fourth floor, uh, fifth floor and the fourth floor. No, fifth floor and two apartments nonetheless. Anyway, it was always popping off, but Vlad had the shorties. The other thing that was funny about him, and this is the first time I saw this, and like I didn't realize how naive I was either until this. Like I got to ask for his apologies. He might laugh at it, but... Damn it, I'm going to go for it. So my fault in advance. But the other shit that like blew my mind was, and I saw like, yo, pause up front. Because I feel like to y'all that don't know, this is my peoples like that. You know what I mean? But like, I'm just, I, I'm not really giving flowers. I'm just kind of telling a story that to some people might think I'm bigging them up. And to other people be like, damn, I ain't talking about that. This is business. But yo, He's the first dude that I saw with sex scratches on his back. Just to cut to this chase. Yo, like, the first time I saw that, I, I couldn't really, like, he, was, he always had scratches and there was, like, a, a backwards J. Yo, I'm, yo, <laughs> and, like, and this was usually around the time he was, like, white, like, I was such a naive because, okay, scratches, but, like, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I didn't, I really didn't know what that meant what was going on. And it wasn't a conversation. He wasn't out there bragging about, it was just, he was a smooth ass dude, you know, just, you know, he, he had the looks, he had the swag, he had a certain voice, he got chinky eyes, you know what I mean? He had that, 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 that swag to him and stuff like that. So all to say is like, you know, I had to deal with that and, and watch that in real time and how it played out. I saw girls become wifey fight with other girls over him like it was it would fight i i never pictured that as a possibility but shout outs to you my bro love sorry if i painted it in a crazy way and of course man we all family people nowadays so 
we're not glorifying that. It's just a time and a story from a time. But to big ups to you as the family man that you are, because like I said, because I, I, I rock with peoples who are straight up peoples, and that's my A1 from day one. Like I told you before, we're still in touch, and that should show you that we all on the on the and the up and correct and stuff, man. We we live legit and we're regular people, but shouts to you, Vlad, man. But that was some crazy shit, man. I had to tell myself where I stood. I was like, I was naive as a mo. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell was going on, but that was crazy. And then on Kingsbridge in Kingsbridge as well, another dude. Now I shared this in the AO episode that I had. Um and in the AO episode, look for that. If you go into wherever you're listening to this. And you look at all the titles, look for Ayo. I talk about sexuality and I talk about sexual preferences. Not to give it away, just go check that out. It'll make sense when you hear some of the stories there. But an individual that I talked about there, um, his name is Pee Wee. We're going to get a little bit more into Pee Wee. And Pee Wee made the cut today because in my time in Kingsbridge, this was another milestone shit. I'm naive. I'm a little older at this point, so... I peep game, I know the hustlers, I know who's moving how and what. There's a lot I'm getting. My mom done put the G move, so I'm already friends with everybody in the hood. You know, I'm locked in with a lot of people, you know, the people who got spots. Like, you know, I kind of see everything or whatever. But in this time, I'm at an age that I'm in between the people who sell crack and the people who steal clothes and, and things from the stores and resell them in places. I'm like dabbling with whoever's the, like, the coolest crew. Whoever's the coolest crew to chill with that Friday... That's where I was at. I was kind of like, I wasn't, I, I was like a free agent in the hood, to put it straight, to keep it a stack. So in my free agent days where I was just Richie, the break dancer, that, the b-boy that was on the block, chilling with other dancers, instead of, I meet some people. And so a person that I got to meet, fortunately, because if I didn't meet him in this way, I probably would have got robbed. But I remember somebody introduced me to this dude. This dude was one of the most screw-faced Puerto Rican dudes you can imagine, he had a big scar across his face. His, his face in itself was real rugged and raw, and his features were really, really intimidating, right? So he had a, an intimidating voice as well. It was super raspy, and just the way that he spoke, his uh, voice and the whole combination was really gritty. And with that, he also had a reputation. And with that, you didn't have to ask people about a story because he was making stories just every other day. It was always something with him. So not only did he have a very colorful past. He had a very colorful present because I'd witnessed this dude, this, and I say this in that other episode, but there's been times that I walk with him and he's like, yeah, yo, come with me to the building. He go rob somebody, get them for a watch, and just like, to just tell you the transition from you're hanging out to you're in the building robbing Mormons and stuff. We're literally just hanging out by the mailboxes laughing, and from your peripheral, you look across the street at the building and you see two people who are not from the area walking in the building and you make it across the street before the door closes because if it closes, you know that split second you got to catch a door before it's locked because then you got to hit the bell to get in? Like, hood timing that you on the spot engage in a full conversation, you peep from your corner of your eye, two people who are not from the hood, you, you analyze the whole thing in that split second while you're talking, and you got enough time to dip across the street and catch the door. And so he was on that time. He was one of those dudes, right? So he's in the building hitting people. He had his past. Throw his hands. He was a wild ass dude. But as I mentioned in the other episode, there's also a day that he slammed out of a building wearing a full skirt. 
And it wasn't Halloween, and he wasn't playing games. He kicked in the door, kicked out the door, jumped out. He wasn't jumping out of closet. He was jumping out the main building. The closet couldn't hold him no more. He jumped all the way. And so I didn't realize in the times when they were telling me that he danced, he danced Vogue, but he was a hood-ass dude, laying people out, involved. And I had a hood family, too. And so, you know, his story and so much about him and the things that he was currently doing and wilding out, ultimately, he passed away. Rest, rest in peace, Pee-Wee, got stabbed in the eye and all that. Just little beefs and, you know, just whatever occurred that made him pass. Rest in peace, my brother, because he was also a good dude and, and, and we chilled out. But for me... The crazy thing about it is that I, at that time, had perceived sexuality and masculinity all wrong. That was my first time that I witnessed a very strong and aggressive masculinity in somebody who had a very sexual nature and, and how he expressed himself and how he chose his, you know, his, his sexuality to be. You know, was something I would have recognized as feminine. And to this day, a lot of society struggles with. That you look at people who are gay and you would say that gay means weak. And on the contrary, I had pictured things like that. And you know, within men, a lot of times we have this, this thing where we play and we say pause. Or we say A-O, which is why I named that title A-O. A play on the word, but the principle here is that these are societal norms. And with these things, we got to realize that we construct them and we can also deconstruct them. And as time goes by, you kind of take ideals and you change around. And so in my maturity now, the way I describe what happened back then is that I had shit twisted. I thought gay means like, you know, you flap the elbow, you flap the wrist down and you got too much sugar in your tank and all the stereotypes and terminologies you can use. But I looked at it as weak. This was a milestone for me because for the first time, I realized the strength that could be behind a dude like that. And there's also been hood dudes and hood legends of people that I knew, even like in the graffiti community, who it was at a time that we still very AO, pause, chill. And um, because that's my generation, my generation is pretty much in transition from that. The transition from we call things gay and we call people gay and we, it's synonymous with weak. But we're also on the ones that are put on now that, oh, we understand something different about um, what it is to be gay and, and the different categories and how it grows. Because, yeah, so what? They're adding letters. It's not my business. I'm not any of those letters. If y'all make another letter, to me, that's maybe just another understanding. If that's the way you're evolving, that's y'all thing. You know, I'm on my lane. More power to you. My best way of supporting is if y'all make a new letter, I'll learn a little bit about it. Respect to the community. Put me on. You tell me what this letter means. So I'm not making the letter up. And the way things are, things are more open that people are like that. So, you know, that was my first experience with an actual human being, a person within my realm, my sphere, that showed me that what I had thought about life and the picture I painted was otherwise. And it took a long time until society caught up to it. But so many blocks had a peewee. It's just a matter of at what point the people or the hood allowed it or if you had that character that was able to just roll with it. And Pee Wee being the tough person he was, is to show you that he's not an anom anomaly because he's tough and gay. 
is that that exists amongst the community. And this is how it presents itself. You can imagine the strain or maybe the aggressiveness, the aggressiveness that he had, how much of it might have come from his suppressing his sexuality and being amongst wolves and shit, knowing how to rock. That comes with pressure. It don't come easy. He always popped off and had that reputation. So those are three people, man, from these scenes in the Bronx that stand out to me and paint a picture of the places that I've been to and the vibrant communities that I've witnessed. And so those pretty dope as well. Tough times and tougher lessons. I've had personal challenges that I've faced in the Bronx, life lessons that I've learned from them. And so single mother home, I talked to you that my mom's gotten locked up a few times. And how that translates when you see your mother has lost a job because she has a criminal record. You're getting evicted from place to place. And then the trauma that I dealt with. There's narcissism within my family and things I'm just beginning to realize now. There's a certain structure that I have now in today that has been developed because of experiences that's happened 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But a single mother home a home where a mother is very young, dealing with two boys, in a time where there's crack, cocaine, and everything that could come along with that, right? This was such a struggle from the times that we lived, and we had to witness my mother doing whatever she had to do to suppress the feelings that she had inside and to cope with her reality around her. Moving from a nice area in Brooklyn, getting arrested, having to move into a bad area of the Bronx with no support or very little support. And so she has her story and her version, but I'm still a kid subjected to that. We, all of us who have that experience, are subjected to one form of, or another of a trauma. And it sucks because for many of us, like Mother's Day rolls around and we do that thing where it's like a happy Father's Day to the mothers that are fathers as well. And I disagree with that. Maybe not in the way that people would imagine. It's not to take away from a woman, but to say that a woman in her 100%ness is going to fulfill every part of what she brings to the table. But yet, there's still a dynamic that, for the most part, you cannot fulfill. And it's the masculine role. You can talk about it. You can point to it. You cannot deliver it. The same way there's certain things that I can kind of mimic or, or allude to that I, what I can say I've observed about women, but because that's not who I am, I can only describe but so far. So the same thing goes for parenting and the dynamic. It completely changes the minute you're missing one parent, whether it's the mother or the father. And so this is not the dumb caca over anybody because if you're doing your absolute best, that's commendable. And unfortunately, it's what you have to do sometimes because of a fuckboy or a fucked up situation. And um, it's not to put it on you, but it's just to paint the reality and having all the empathy in the world that it takes because, that, yo, that was my reality. And so the consequence my mom faced is the, cons is the punishment that we all have to endure as kids as well. And, and being raised in that meant that we were always behind. We didn't have the balance of two incomes in the house. You know, we were always dealing with getting pulled out of school early for like a face-to-face -face hearing because on top of my mom losing jobs for having a record, she also was dabbling in things on the street still. 
right? But then she also was meeting parole officers, probation officers and stuff. And so it was a lot of pressure being put on her as a single mother in her dynamic, right? So you got a single mother in the Bronx, but you also have single mother in the Bronx with a criminal record. Two boys. Criminal record, father's in jail. He's doing a stretch. He's about to do another five years. So this home dynamic and, and lessons learned is just a tough experience in that. How it shaped me, you know, the, the lesson there, you know, is just pretty much what I endured, made me develop certain ways of understanding the world, realize certain vulnerabilities and knowing I didn't want to be in that position. But what comes with that is that when life hits and I get close to that position that I'm so scared of because of my trauma, it could be very triggering. And so, it's, which is why I talk a lot about mental health and I talk about the importance of straightening your shit out because you can have stuff inside of you, but for so long, it's very healthy for you to pick up and let it go somewhere. And on that note, ADHD, right? On top of all those things and the pressures that my mom faced, I was going through an ADHD that was not diagnosed. So in adulthood, I learned that I had ADHD. And when I look back and I see how I fared off in school, the troubles I had with school, it made sense because my story academically was that, you know, I had been left back a few times all through the course of my school, tons of suspensions, um, getting kicked out of school, getting tons of chances, having no organization. And I had a home that didn't nurture an environment of study. Um, it was a very unstable home, so I got a shot nervous system because of it. And so, and ADHD also presents itself as trauma as well. And so a lot of my signs of trauma are also signs of ADHD. And so I have a very tight nervous system that's been wired around the trauma and the stresses that I've had to go through. And so with ADHD, the problem I've had carried into adulthood but fortunate for me, I was able to catch it as a parent because I got to witness certain challenges that my daughter had and I saw in me what it was that she was struggling with. And I'm like, oh, that's the same thing I was struggling with. But the tough thing I got to experience was a lot of embarrassment, um, not putting two and two together the way somebody that was a little sharper was. I was very naive. I, I look back and I think to myself, like, I know things because of my age and experience and, and how I understand it now. But the way I saw those memories were different at the time in many ways. In many ways, I had an innocent outlook on certain things. And later, when things made sense, I realized how dark that thing was. And so I do a lot of that, which is great about my storytelling and my trauma and, and dealing with it. Because the mental health part of it is also, how, do I, how can I make a negative thing into a positive thing or experience into a positive experience and for me reliving this trauma could be tough but if I present it in a way that it's a lesson learned and how I can apply it I get through the day so tough times tougher lessons they were tough lessons because of the experience but the jewel I get in it becomes a change of behavior and we get a lot of that from somebody kind of painting a picture through therapy through reflection or having a platform where you get to talk about it and not just keep it out or not just trauma dump on people and now it's theirs or whatever, you know, it's pretty good. Um, and again, there's other forms of tough lessons as well. Mental health is one, the single, the, the home function and dynamic, hood politics, 
right? Because when you're living in the hood, let's just imagine you're doing five, ten years. Look how many stages of your life you give in that hood. If you got your exploratory stage of life, that comes with certain politics, right? The peer pressures are different stages of peer pressure, different stages of drugs, different stages of opportunities, different stages of crimes. You see it across different, but if you're on the block for 10 years, you're presented with so many different type of um, temptations at different stages. And so you could be one person one or two years, and then your whole value system changes in three or four. And now if you're on the block where people already know you for something, when you try to evolve to a whole other thing, they could clown you for that. Or they might not respect your gangster if you're trying to move on a whole different time. Now this person making money and they're like, oh, he pussy. And they go test you because they knew you for a certain way. And now you got to face more tests. This is her politics. I got to, when I started, like I say a lot that I was naive to a point. But at a point when things started waking up, I had got cut in the face. Um, I saw that I wasn't as safe as I thought because of my naivety. But I also grew at those points. And these are points that became milestone points because I'm like, oh, shit. Like, aside from, like, the little gang tussles and the fun things I did at 13 were, like, little, little gangs. I got to witness bigger things happen. But when I started having bigger things happen to me, it's like life became more real and I kind of leveled up in it. And, you know, at that point, I, I was, like, more receptive peeping game and seeing how people moved on each other. When a fight just happened, I wasn't just looking at win or loser. I'm understanding through the bochinche, like, what popped off, what made it happen. And you start learning through that. And so, again, looking at the pros of it, you know, you kind of get sharp. From that, you kind of learn hierarchy. And these things are interchangeable. I tell you, when you're up on game in the hood, you can go into a professional setting and apply it almost cookie cutter because I've been in both places before I've been in places where I've worked professionally right where I had the code switch and I gotta be a suit you know what I mean suit inside director programs and representing a whole organization speaking a certain way and being a certain type of presentable and I've also been the person in the street you know in the mix and everywhere and knowing how to shut that down and be this person and, and move between those. That's been, you know, the story of me. And so you learn the hierarchy, you learn protection, you know who you rock with from what blocks, you know, who your dap matters to because a lot of times you don't really got a pass on that block till you dap in a certain person. When people see you dap this one and that one and that one, it's like you get a pass just off of that. And how, how does a person know these things, right? These are things that are like unwritten, but they're not unspoken. We take podcasts, we take videos, we take social media. We record clips of people kind of speaking these little hood antics and not just telling you this happened to that person, but the nuances that make the hood the hood. The politics, you know, how people move on each other and what things kind of make that happen. How you keep the balance between being safe and not being a victim. And not kind of giving the wrong impression and now everybody, you know, you got yourself kicked off the block. You know, it, it, it get crazy. And the other thing is that you start pe seeing people, you know, another lesson I learned too, and this lesson comes with age, is that with time, you also unfortunately, like time exists for certain situations and people have a way of applying time or not conveniently. Because at this age, I've also seen different people I've come up with start moving to different blocks 
to like, you know, make money. Go on this side of town. Now they got beef with people on this side of town. Now one person lay a person down from one side, lay another person from that side. And the thing goes back and forth, beef between people I might know from different sides. From the same hood that at a stage, we were all doing the same thing together and chilling and there was no problem. But then at, at the next stage, now time doesn't matter to resolve it. Now we can't say, yo, but that's, you know, there's no time limit on that. Because then in the hood politics, there's also hood statute of limitations. There's also a sense of what you let go as the past or how you're going to catch a person, a clip a person over, over something that happened. Like, are we letting this go or not? Are we going to ride for this situation or not? Are we just going to leave it to the law and whatever happens between them? Or are we going to move on them and be a part of that move? These are all things that through the various stages, I can look back and, and kick game and tell a person like, yo, this is what you got to look out for. This is really what matters. You know, yeah, you want to look fly. You got a little girlfriend and stuff. But when you link up with your people, that's what really matters because y'all meeting each other on this stage. But at some po point, people start moving away from each other, operating with each other. And now things change and you get caught up in that where some one friend lays down another friend. And that's forever. Just lights out. Because of that, you thought because we started off on this level, we was going to be cool and now somebody's lacking. And somebody get taken out because the rules are different on a different level. So um, these are some of the tough lessons that I've um, picked up along the time. And um, in terms of the Bronx and where I want to see the Bronx, just three simple things that I like to kind of close off with because... It's good to transition from the past and nostalgia and take these tough lessons and experiences and apply them to a certain expectation, right? Maybe we're not as dependent on the government when our economy is shit, but we can always be around to remember that we got each other. And so one of the well wishes I have is not even on my people because I'm losing faith as time goes on with older people in my generation and I'm willing to take a chance with the younger generation. I think what we've been doing for a long time has not been working. Whatever the plan, like there's no plan for us. For our people, there's really no plan in place or no plan that's worked before. And I think I'd be more interested in, in declaring that I'm willing to see them do the work, just don't forget me, right? But like how much lower can we go? I can't imagine comfortably being any worse than we are now as a country our values and just so much about it and now on a world scale there's so much happening that can make people scared however without going into too many details of those things one of the things on my wish list is that I like to see younger people you know rise up and take that power because I don't kind of think it's going to be relinquished easily I don't think it's going to be something that it's going to just be handed to them. I think at this point, they just have to forcefully make a lot of noise in a lot of places. We're seeing a lot of that happen across the country in different protests for different reasons and stuff. And we see people finding very creative ways of using platforms to address, address certain social issues and, um, and use different strategies, creative strategies to, um, to make noise and to promote um, certain ideas. And so... And we see a lot of this happening with the younger generation. I'm 44, so when I say younger generation, put that into perspective. But because I see that and I think it's dope and I'm on that time, 
I want to see more of it. So for the borough, for the city at large, for my people coming out of the Bronx, I want to see somebody rise up. I want to see young people taken to the arts, you know, bringing hip hop back alive to where it should be, you know, kicking it for what the new story is. Every generation got a different story. What's the story for now? The old story's kind of old news. We keep doing the same thing. No doubt a diamond could, could sparkle but so much. We don't went through every rainbow. You don't went through clear. We don't went through platinum and yellow gold. We don't went through everything. Food pictures and videos. We done did all that. Can we get back to a message? And us using the platforms that we could, a podcast, you know, hip-hop and all its elements and stuff like that, blogs, all of that stuff. I want to see y'all do it and make an impression and anything that I could be a part of the cause. Yo, let's connect and let's collaborate. I love to talk to y'all and see what we can cook up because that'll be dope. I want to see that. Another thing is like, I got a mindset about the hood that's a little different and I don't like to confine myself. I talk a lot about like buildings and the demographic of like the Bronx and how we got houses on this side of town and buildings and, and what comes from that. But although I think like that, I also think about the tribal aspect of who my peoples are, where what exists is a community without walls. I know my TikTok community, for example. I have names that pop up and accounts that pop up in my head. I know my IG community. I know my family community. I know my old, the schools I've attended. and I know where they merge, which ones connect where. I know all those things. And in a sense, I also know for certain ideals and a certain belief I got um, about this world, a world belief, a spiritual belief. I know where my tribe is at. And so what I like to see a lot more is now that cannabis is legal in many states, and especially the state I love, New York, especially in the city I love, New York City, especially in the borough I love, because a lot of my history involves us dealing with, with the criminality of cannabis. And there's such a history for cannabis that I advocate for. But if we're not the ones to have the conversation with the younger of our tribe who want to experiment, understand, and try it from these smoke shops that might appear as taboo to certain communities, I want to have a certain effort to, to kind of break that stigmatism and normalize it as a substance and to focus on the pros of it and we can also talk about the cons of it. You know, I wanna be able to be a part of that conversation. I think the younger generation could benefit from having some OGs, some elders from the tribe, allow them to assimilate and come in, pique their curiosity, and see if it's something for them or not, respectfully, in a way, in an environment that's healthy. Keeping them in mind, this is not only for a bag, some blocks are going to make it for a bag. You go to certain blocks and you see the stickers of loud packs going all the way up the totem pole of a street lamp or on a car that's really not in service but on a block that's pushed across the street for alternate side just to come back to the same spot it was the next day, Wednesdays off, with stickers of loud packs all around and to let the person on the block know where to get that at. Right? That's all fun and games and that's cool. You know, it's in the air where the people are having a reliable source. You never know really what you're getting. But if we could have, at least I'm speaking on these establishments that's doing legit and they're doing what it takes to kind of rock and make it happen. Let us now in 2024 make it a place that for those who want to partake, experience, 
that they don't have to deal with having to come out of a sort of closet to do so. That they can openly come and say, you know what, I'm going to partake. And they can have a third space to venture out into amongst people who's going to watch them through the experience. Because that's all it is. And for my people who may have been in the world that I've been a part of, i like for you to hear the message. Let's normalize it because it is here. There's laws that support its past. Now we got to deal with what does that mean? How do we bring our people into an understanding of whether it's something that they want or not? Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's going to be something somebody wants. And so let's be ahead of the narrative and study this thing. With legality comes funding and grant funding on a federal level once we get to that point. I hope to see that too, because then we could kind of get behind it and see the way our um, endocannabinoid system functions and, and, and absorbs and, and all the things that come along with it. It's going to be, it's going to make for a great time. And I can't wait to see that. And then finally, I like to see more of an homage to the Bronx, whether I'm a part of that movement, which I am, and I plan to set forth in that very thing hard this year in 2024, out the gate in January, like peep me in February, you're going to see some things. Now I said I got to do it. But nonetheless, to end off on this note, like seriously, I like to see an homage to the Bronx. The Bronx is so much more, even for me, that I've been connected and tapped into the Bronx for so long. And I give you these stories. Even now, I've been digging deeper into these stories and been fascinated. And with me doing so, I take so much more Bronx pride. I take so much more thrill in taking these stories and going even deeper, even myself diving deeper into the stories I'm sharing with you and stats and data and, and the significance of the things I remember bring me to a, a whole new level of love for this borough that I call home for quite a time. And so in that and in the respect and in this new year, I'm going to do my bit, but I want to see so much more Bronx creators. Like we got the Olympics and, and breakdancing, b-boying, the art of breaking is going to hit the Olympics 2024. And that in itself is an homage to the Bronx who started it. And this has been a great year for 50 and hip hop. And we've been given mad attention, but let's not just leave it on that 50 year. And let's just make it that, you know, I got some good news to, to leave off too. You know, I, I'm going to be a part of dealing with workshops and teaching people how to archive their current time, almost as a time capsule for the people in the future who are going to want to see what the perception was and, and hear these stories of these current times. A picture could say but so many things. This, you know, it's all about these stories. So I want to capture that and I want to teach people how to capture that um, because I, I naturally did that for a course of time from the 90s. Um, and... It's, it's, um, there's been some reward to it and it's dope. And so it's taken me to the place I am now. I want to teach people how to do that. And I got the exciting opportunity to not only do that amongst the hip hop culture with like people who are b-boys and, and graffiti writers and such, but I'm going to be able to participate in major events and battles and stuff in the upbringing in the upcoming year. Um, and so you're going to see a, a, a lot of my involvement in those spaces as well again. So I'm thrilled about that. And it's just yet another thing that I, expect to see there's so much more that i strive to see and we'll see how the months come but um as for now folks it's a wrap on our first throw through the bronx for the year um kingsbridge here kingsbridge rich here signing off um, just keeping our spirit of the borough alive and kicking it i want you to remember that every street corner in the bronx has a story 
my story, your story, and I'll be right here to share more with you. So stay tuned, stay real, and let's make this year one for the books, guys. Peace out from the heart of the Bronx. Catch you in the next episode of My Bronx Story. Peace and love.